things. When this gets rolled up for too long, it tends to get a little kinked. We have started here, according to the genealogies that we've looked at here, we came up with between creation and the flood, according to these genealogies that we found, is 1,656 years after creation. And we have a bunch of other genealogies that are found in Genesis chapter 10 and 11 that bring us up to about 2000 BC. And that's 2000 years between creation and the time of Abraham as is recorded in the book of Genesis. And just for posterity's sake and to, for illustration, that is 2000 years worth of history in the book of Genesis. This is the next 2,000 years, roughly. I suppose if everything were to be written about what happened in that time frame, I don't know how many volumes it would have taken for us to, uh, to read, and certainly would have been rather tedious to, to plow through. But everything that's been written in these first 11 chapters up to now has been simply to give us that, that thread to follow, from the very beginning, and then in Genesis chapter 3, to where God has made a promise that one day, through uh, the seed of Eve, that he's going to redeem man. And as we come up to Genesis chapter 11, we remember we talked last week about the Tower of Babel, or Babel, depending on how you pronounce that. We have the division of the the three tribes was Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And we have come down to the genealogy of where we're going to start in verse 27 of Genesis chapter 11. Now these are the generations. Uh, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 11. Genesis 11. When it says these are the generations, there is a term that is in Hebrew that lets us know that they're talking about the genealogy or the generation or the creation of that. Uh, in the beginning, it talks about the generations. I believe it's in chapter, Genesis chapter 2. It talks about the generations of the history of the earth. Well, now we have the history of the generations of Terah. And all of these generations are leading us, and if you follow that, if you go to the New Testament in, the, in Matthew and Luke, you follow the genealogies. And through the Luke, you will find the genealogy passes directly through this. These are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur of the Chaldeans, I think I mentioned this last week, that area is called the Cradle of Civilization. Um, a lot of your DNA your, uh, that you'll take from your test. I think I used the blood test last week. It's actually the saliva test is the one that I had taken. I think when most people have their DNS, DNA, has anybody done DNA tests on their families to find out where they went? They do that with saliva. But they can do it with blood. Actually, if you watch the crime shows, they can do it with anything. You know. If you, if you do it for those people that are trying to discover it, you have to practically wear a hole in your jaw to, uh, to get all of the DNA on there. 
and they can take it from the little strand of hair and they can, they can figure out everything in your life. Uh, so all of these, it's called the Cradle of Civilization that goes through Ur of the Chaldeans. Uh, there, right where the, uh, right where the, in our modern day, the Euphrates and Tigris come down into that bay, that's where Ur of the Chaldeans is located. If you go back to your maps and your, uh, in your Bible, which I think mine are all torn out, they've worn out. So they, uh, but they will show you where that map is for the early civilizations in that. So that's where, yes, or as I said in my ancient civilizations, as I told my teacher, Mr. Whistler, Mesopotamia. I had never heard it. If I'd heard it pronounced, I didn't know it. So I said, uh, Mr. Whistler, are we going to be in Mesopotamia today? And of course he said, what? Mesopotamia. He says, no, it's Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia. So that is, yes, it's Mesopotamia as we, as we know it. And uh, so, and it says, and Abram, in verse 29, uh, Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren and she had no child. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. When they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, let's go forward to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is going to give a history lesson to the council there in Jerusalem. And it begins in verse 1, And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, he begins with his history lesson, Acts chapter 7, verse 1, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. Now he calls him Abraham, even though technically he's called Abram. His name won't be changed to Abraham, but using this style here, he simply calls him, like everyone knows him, he's Abraham. Father Abraham, when he lived in Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, he and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land where I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans, and the Chaldeans later on would be known as the Babylonians. Uh, they'll, a lot of times when Jeremiah would give his prophecies, he would talk about the Chaldeans and the Babylonians. Well, the Chaldeans were from southern Babylonia. We covered this in one of the Sunday night classes. But the Chaldeans and Babylonians, all Chaldeans are Babylonians, but not all Babylonians are Chaldeans. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. All residents of California are Americans, United States citizens, but not all United States citizens are residents of California. Sort of like that. Does that make... I'm getting farther and further away, aren't I? Let's just go back to this. Okay. Um, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after this... And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. 
And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be the sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. So he's giving them that, that grand history. And he covers an awful lot of ground here by simply giving the, the overview of what we have just read. So he calls Abraham's father out of Ur, and if we were to look, and I'm just going to pretend this is the map, he calls him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and he, calls, and he goes up to Haran, which is north-northeast of Canaan. We know it as Palestine now. And then from there, God calls him and says, I want you to go down to Canaan. He goes down to here. Egypt is around the bend there. Is that, can you imagine that, what I, that map I just showed you? So, that's, so that brings us to the end of chapter 11. Everybody has a clear view of the history of Mesopotamia? Okay, very good. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and with him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what are the promises that God makes here in these first three verses? The first one he's going to do is, verse 2, I will make you a great nation. And what was that nation that he made him into? Made it into Israel. Israel was a great nation. Did Israel become a great nation? Did God fulfill his promise? Okay, there we go. So we have that. He says, I will bless you and make your name great. Did he bless him and make his name great? If you follow through into the New Testament and over and over that Jesus will confront people or they will confront him about, well, Father Abraham. Abraham's our father. And Jesus told them before Abraham was, I am. So those who say that Jesus never claimed to be God don't know what they're talking about. They just absolutely, they have no, no concept of that. So here we have, he says, uh, I'm going to bless those. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, will I will curse. Okay, and what's the, the last one? It's on my last one on the page. Uh, what's the next blessing that he says that he's going to do? Yes, in all of the families or nations of the earth shall be blessed. Did God fulfill that promise? Yes of the coming of Christ. That's how, and it was through his seed. Now, as I mentioned before, that all of these genealogies that have been given are, are really, if you're not interested in Christ, these really don't have much meaning to you, other than historical context. But these are giving because if you go down to Luke, and he gives the genealogy, they come right straight through this, and as we were continue on down here to where after Noah and Shem and, and Lamech, they go through this, that's the genealogy of Christ. And that's why we have those genealogies that follow all the way through, because he says, in you all the nations or families of the earth are going to be blessed. Is there still, how do I put this into a, uh, into a sentence that would be coherent? Is, does this still need to be 
it's, it's been fulfilled. Because in Christ. Now, whether or not people have realized that in their own lives, that Christ is their blessing, that's inconsequential to this. But he says that in, in you, all families will be blessed. Now, if we start out in the beginning, uh, in chapter 15, it says for the first time that Abraham, the Hebrew. Now, you follow this down, and that's the first time that we have that they're being called a collective nation, as it were. Abraham was a Hebrew. Now, that term Hebrew is even going to be used. Paul says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews in the New Testament. Now, why am I saying all this? Because that line doesn't go through every one of Abraham's descendants, does it? No. Now, if you are in Islam, which line of Abraham's descendants does it go through? It goes through Ishmael. And they say, no, no, no. The Old Testament was corrupted. The blessing goes through Ishmael, not Isaac. So that's where the there's where you have another one of the rubs. But originally it was the Hebrews. Then it becomes even more confined when it goes. Uh, how how do they identify the God of Heaven, the God that we worship in the Old Testament? Called him Yahweh, but uh, they wouldn't have known him necessarily as that. But they called him the God of. Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That let them know. And there's more, there's more in there than, than we realize when they say, well, if he's the God of Abraham, then all of Abraham's descendants. Well, now you come, now he's the God of Isaac. Okay? So Isaac had two sons. Who are Isaac's two sons? Jacob and Esau. Okay? Did it go through Esau? No. That's why when you hear he was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, that's what they're talking about, that lineage that cuts right down to you and I. Because Jacob's name would be changed to Israel. Okay, So in, in the beginning, you had them identified as Hebrew. We'll read in chapter 15, it says that Abraham the Hebrew. Now there's there's discussion as to yes go ahead. In chapter fifteen, uh, did I have the wrong chapter? Someone looked that up, Abraham the Hebrew. But it's in, it's in the context of this, and I've, uh, I should have marked it out clearly. But it, he's called Abraham the Hebrew there, the first time. If you look up in a concordance where it says... And so, I, I'll have it by the end, it'll, it'll come to me. So he's originally known, known as Hebrews. Then they become known as, the tri, as Israel. They are God's chosen. Now, after the captivity, what would God's chosen people be known as? They are Jews. They're Jews because it's a form of Judah. Uh, so they're, they're called Jews. So that's, that's really the, the transformation that happens, and that's, that will be on the final exam. So remember that, okay? 
You know, so you're not caught off guard on this. So uh, here, as Abraham is going to be called the, uh, the Hebrew, uh, where the name Hebrew come from, we think that in this genealogy that happens after the flood, there's a man called Eber, and it means uh, a division, or coming out, or coming over, is what it meant. Some people think that that's where Abraham, the descendant of Eber, came from, because from his son, it says in that his generation, the earth was divided. And I know that's an awful lot for you, but when someone says one day, why were they called Hebrews? You say, well, some people believe it came from Eber. Others think that it's simply because uh, he was called out. He came across the river, uh, the river Euphrates, up to Haran, and then down. So that's where we're at here in 1413. Yes, I knew it was verse 13 there. 1413. Oh, yes. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew. Chapter 14 and verse 13. I was one chapter off on that. So uh, he began, that's the first time that you read the term Hebrew. And Eber is the same Hebrew root word. And some people find that all fascinating, up to and including me. Uh, others don't. So he, here we have the promise that in your families of the earth, uh, all the families, they shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, and why is it called Canaan? Who is Canaan? If we go back to Noah comes off the ark. Noah has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And who was Shem's son or grandson, depending on how you look at it? His name was Canaan. He said, cursed Canaan. And so this land that uh, is, habit, habitat, is uh, inhabited is called Canaan because it is the descendants of Ham who are on their way down to Africa. Some of them have settled there. And there are going to be seven tribes that God says that he's going to drive out from that land when he brings the promised people. He's going to name them here in one of these, uh, uh, in one of these chapters. And I always have it marked up so I know exactly where they're at. Uh, chapter 15 and... It says, I give this land, chapter 15, the last three verses. Uh, to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, and the great river is Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaim, and the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. Six of the seven that he tells Moses he's going to, or Moses and Joshua that he's going to drive out are listed there. Uh, so all of this is being laid out for you, and it it can be a little bit confusing because there's going to be hundreds of years. There's going to be about 500 years now between this time of Abraham and the time when Moses is going to get the law. Yes, Tim. What did Abraham think? Yes, I, yeah, I'm thinking, of, I'm thinking of, let's see, I can put a resort here. Yeah, here's where the olives are going to go. Yeah, 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 no. 
But you're thinking, what offspring? He doesn't have any kids. Because it plainly tells us in chapter 11 that Sarah was barren. And in the Old Testament, however you always want to look at it, it's always the women that are barren. It's never the man. But, but the case is that she's unable to bear children. What child? What, are, what offspring? And this is going to become uh, something that Abraham is going to be very much bothered by. My offspring. Stephen says that not even one foot of ground belonged to Abraham. Well, and technically we know what he's talking about, but there was a, a plot of ground that Abraham had to buy eventually. And what was that plot of ground that Abraham had to buy? It was a cave of Machpelah where he had Sarah buried. But this wasn't something that you would buy as your land possess. That was not what it was would count it as. But he had to buy that cave to bury her in. And not only her, but there were going to be other generations from that that were going to also be buried there. Uh, when Joseph is going to come out of Egypt, he says, you're going to take my bones from here and you're going to bury it. And Jacob said the same thing. You... Yes, yeah. He bought it, it says it's at the end of the field and they have uh, an idea where it's at. Tim, you went to the promised land. Did you go to that area where they showed where Abraham's descendants were buried at? You remember seeing it? Yeah, it might have been guarded so that uh, as part of the uh, land that you can't go into there. So a lot of things are going on here as to uh, as as it pertains to uh, to Abram, and it's it difficult for me because I always want to call him Abraham because that's what he's going to be known as. But now he's called Abram, and what is going to be surrounding the changing of his name? Why does God change names? It's part of a promise. It's part of something that he has a special covenant call with people because he's going to change not only Abraham, Abram's name, but he's going to change, and I'm not always sure how to pronounce that. I pronounce it Sarai, uh, but he changes her name to Sarah because that's going to be part of a covenant promise that he's going to make that, that she's going to be with child. But it's tough for them to understand this, and, and we'll get into, uh, into that in just a few minutes. Uh, but he's also going to change other people's names as well. He's going to change Jacob into Israel. In the New Testament, who does he change names of? Saul. Okay, Saul was the Hebrew name, but he was known as Paul, which would have been his Greek name. How that, you know, it's, it, ha it happens, changes from one verse to the other. I think it's about two or three verses that separate that when he talks about Saul, and the next thing you know, it talks but he changes Peter. You're Peter, and upon this rock. So, uh, he changes names of, of people as, he go, as it goes about, as his covenant demands of them. And it lets them know that they have a special place in this. So as Abraham, Abram is called out, he's going to leave that land of Haran, and he's going to take everyone with him. And it says that uh, in verse 5 of, of Genesis chapter 12, it says, And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. So, and we're going to read about a, in chapter 14, about Abram has to go rescue Lot from a war. And it tells about the number of people that he had, 
and I want to say that it is in the 300, 318 uh, trained men in his house. Doesn't sound like a lot, does it? He's going to go to war with 318 men. More than as many people, but 318 doesn't, uh, it doesn't sound like a lot of people that you're going to go to war with. But when you have 318 people, now this is just men. We don't know how many are women and children beyond that. But Abram is building quite an empire for himself uh, as we go about. So uh, don't, don't gloss over that and say, well, that's not really that important. Because God says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And we think, well, when, when Abram went down to Egypt, it was just he and Sarah that went down there. Well, when he goes down, who does he take with him? Does, yeah, does, yeah. We, we assume that he takes some of the servants. It's not specifically and explicitly stated, but it could have been uh, he's taking quite a great, is the term retinue that I want to use? He's taking a pretty good crowd with him, and he's gaining more and more all the time uh, that he's taking. Uh, so God is gradually, little by little, making a great nation of him, but as great as a nation as he is becoming, there's the one thing that he lacks, right, Tim? He lacks the son. He lacks the son that God is going to, uh, that God, God is going to bless him through. And I'm sure that there's a great lesson in that about patience. Right now, R-A-T, right now, as my dad would say. Something about patience. Now, it, it gives us a lot of information because it tells us how old was Abraham when all of this came about? Seventy-five. How old is Abraham going to be when he finally has his son? Hundred. Hundred. H-U-N-D-E-R-D. Hundred. Uh, yes, Terah uh, Tara died two, when he was 205 years old. Oh, Sarah, Sarah was 90. I said, Tara, um, yeah, Sarah is, she's 90. He contacts uh, Abram and Sarah when she's 89 and he's 99. He says, about this time next year when I come. So he's 75, but it doesn't come about till he's 100. He's going to raise a teenager. Now there's a story behind that, that how do we know that Isaac wasn't a teenager when he took him uh, up on Mount Moriah? It's a joke. Because then it wouldn't have been a sacrifice. <laughs> Edit that one out, Mark. <laughs> yes, he has to raise a teenager. And... And many people believe that he was, he was about 12 or 13 years old. That, that would have been the standard. But the fact is that he's 75 years old. And remember, in our genealogy that you can imagine here, that people are beginning to be 30, 35, and 40 years old when they become fathers. Now, Abram is 75 years old, and he's told that I'm going to make your descendants. I'm going to make your descendants. He doesn't have a kid yet. 
He's not going to have one for another 25 years. Yes, yeah, his, his corporation. Yeah. It, by this time, he's, he's incorporated, so he's protected by the laws so that if he gets sued, not. Yeah. Uh, in other words, he keeps living for God. No matter if he knows how it, uh, the child is going to come or not, he just plans on being with God throughout. Yes, yeah, he continues to grow. If you go to the book of Job and you look at the, the first couple of chapters, especially the first chapter, and it tells about that he was one of the great men of the East, he may have come from that area from where Abram came from, around that area, because it talks about the, the land that he came from. So it talks about being a great person of the, uh, of the East, Job was. And Abraham, at this time, is approaching that, but he still has to wait. And what is the... What are some of the things involved at being 75 years old and still having to wait 25 years to have that child that God promised you? A late blessing. I think of, I mean, you know who Tony Randall is. Harvey Corman. A couple of comedians from the 70s. Both became fathers when they were in their 70s. No, their wife wasn't 90, yes. That goes, yes. I, I should add that. Their wives were not 90 years old. They had, they had married younger. But the thing that, that comes to me when, when I think, well, you're 70 years old. Are you, how are you going to go out and play ball with them and all this? But that's, we're thinking in, in the 21st century, thinking of what are you going to be able to do? It's not like that. It is having that child, and that child is going to be your progeny. It's going to be, you are the potter familia. You're the father of that child who's going to come across, who's going to be that promise. And you've waited 25 years. But you haven't waited all of 25 years because Sarah is going to intercede in that. And you... Th yeah, she's gonna, we're going to help God out. Exactly. She has an idea uh, of this. And now, if you think in terms of the history of the world, and I mean the history of the world, of how different things would have been if both Sarah, Sarai and Abram had said, I'm going to wait. But because they didn't, Ishmael comes along, and with it, all of the troubles that eventually come down. Yes, the conflicts. And it, and it, and it comes about because God has made this promise. Not because God has made this promise, but because he's made this promise and their inability to wait. Now, is there a lesson somewhere in this? Patience? No. No, 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 no. Not patience. 
Yes, it is patience. It is patience and trust, I hear, about waiting on this. And there are going to be not just this incident, and I'm, I'm jumping way ahead here, but uh, the things that we're going to see that are happening to, uh, to Abram here are, are going to come because of perhaps a lack of patience. And when we get to uh, chapter 13, uh, we come down to, and I'm, I'm going to skip over the part where Abraham and Sarah go down to Egypt. I want to go to chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. And Negev means the southern region of Palestine between uh, what we call modern-day Israel-Palestine and uh, Egypt down here. The Negev was the southern region of that. Uh, we read about that, especially when we get down to David and the Negev. So, uh, and Lot went with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that they could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. He's building on that, uh, that corporation there. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time the Canaanites and Perizzites were dwelling in land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. For we are kinsmen, is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Verse 10. Verse 10. Oh, we don't have time to read it. That's the second bell. But I'm going to read it anyways. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. That was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Yes, he, pick, he picks the best of the land. And, and Tim, I'm going to come back to you again. Did you visit this part of the, the Dead Sea? Is it as lush as what it's pictured here? The, the orchards are gone? The fields, flowing green fields are gone? It's all gone. I've seen pictures of it. It looks like the landscape of the moon and Mars. But at one time, it was that well-watered Jordan Valley. And who could blame Lot? If you had to choose, and Abraham gives him the choice. Abraham says, if you go to the, is that east? Okay, if you go to the east, I'm going to the west. If you go to the west, I'm going to the east. I, whatever you want. And Lot looks, I think he looks to the south, really. South and the east. And he sees, lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere. They say the water level is so low that I believe the level has dropped some 40 feet in recent years of the Dead Sea, where it's soon going to come to the point where it's going to be completely dried up. 
but at one point was the well-watered Jordan Valley. We'll save that account till next week. Any questions or comments? We're covering the history of Mesopotamia, so read up on it.